Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us hear the word of God as we find it written in the Gospel according to St. Luke, the 16th chapter, verses 27 and 28. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father Abraham, that thou would send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Good morning, dear friends in Christ Jesus, you who are here in God's house, and you also, the listeners of our radio audience. It is nice, isn't it, to be here in God's house, even though it's a rainy Sunday morning. And radio friends, it is nice to have you worshiping with us on this day also. If you looked at your church calendar, Christian friends, you saw that it said this is the first Sunday after Trinity. Now you and I realize that the church calendar and the secular calendar, they are different because the years are different. The secular year, you and I know, begins on January the 1st. The church year begins with the first Sunday in Advent, and that's usually the last Sunday in November or the first Sunday in December. Being as this is the first Sunday after Trinity, we are now just about halfway through the present church year. It began in the Advent, as I have said, and it is the festival half that we have finished. We have celebrated Christmas, we have celebrated Epiphany, we have celebrated Palm Sunday, we have celebrated Good Friday, we have celebrated Easter, we have celebrated Ascension, we have celebrated the Feast again of Pentecost, and last Sunday was Trinity Sunday. Now we are in the last half of the church year and this is the non-festival half so we number the Sundays from Trinity today being the first Sunday after Trinity and we go on till we come to the Advent season which will begin another church year so today we're about halfway through the church year the first Sunday after Trinity and today is also known as Father's Day it's the third Sunday in June this is the Sunday that we set apart for the honoring of Christian fathers the ancient gospel lesson that was chosen in the early centuries for this Sunday you heard read at the lectern it's the story of the rich man and Lazarus and it forms the basis of the sermon this morning and it is very appropriate for this occasion when we observe Father's Day I know that you know the story well. You know that Jesus said one day that there was a certain rich man who was clothed with purple and fine linen, the finest of garments, and he feasted sumptuously every day. You will notice that sometimes we call this man Dives, but Jesus does not give him a name. And you wonder, where do we get the name? Well, in the Greek language, the word the rich one is in the Greek Dives. So we have taken the Greek word, we have made a personal name out of it, and we call this rich man Dives, even though Jesus doesn't name him and the story goes on and Jesus says and there was also a poor beggar and he gave him the name of Lazarus which is a beautiful name it means God helps 
And Jesus says this man's body was filled with sores and he couldn't walk so they brought him every day and they laid him at the gate of the rich man's house. And this poor beggar Lazarus, he was desirous of eating the crumbs, the garbage that the servant would carry out from Dives' home. And we are told the dogs came and licked his sores. And then Jesus says it came to pass that the beggar died and he was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. He was taken to heaven. And then Jesus says in the course of events the rich man also died and was buried. And then we are told that in hell the rich man afar off he saw Lazarus in Abraham's bosom. He saw Lazarus in heaven and being in torments in hell he cried out and he said Father Abraham please send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. And then Jesus says that Father Abraham said to Dives, he said, you remember son that in life you had all the good things and Lazarus had the evil things but now Lazarus is comforted and you are tormented. And then uh, Father Abraham went on, he says, besides uh, there's a great gulf, there's a great chasm between us and you. No one if he would want to can go from where we are to where you are and no one can come from where you are to us. And then it was that Dives, the rich man, he said, Oh, then, Father Abraham, do this. Will you send Lazarus back to earth and send him to my father's house? I've got five brothers. And have him testify to them that he would tell them so that they will not come to this place of torment and to this place of agony and pain. And then you know Father Abraham, as Jesus told the story, he said, Well, they have Moses and the prophets. Let your brothers hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one went back from the dead I know that they would repent and then Father Abraham said if they heed not Moses and the prophets they will not be persuaded they won't believe even though one rose from the dead you know that story well and it's very appropriate for this day uh, Christian fathers this is our day and I would as I speak to you as I speak to myself as a Christian father let's assume that you and I are Lazarus for the moment let's assume that we are the beggar Lazarus that you and I have been in heaven and we have from heaven we have seen hell and let's assume that father Abraham this morning sends you and me back from the dead to our homes in order to testify to our children so that one thing will never happen to them they will never end up in hell and assuming this morning that you and I are Lazarus back from the dead we have been in heaven and you and I have seen hell and we are to testify to our kids we are to tell them something so that they will never be lost the big question is then what will you and I tell them what will our testimony be you may say well preacher isn't that rather hard isn't that rather rhetorical thing isn't that again rather a theoretical thing I believe not on the basis of the fact that we do have Moses and the prophets I think that you and I can decide this morning exactly if we are Lazarus come back from the dead and you and I have been in heaven and above all we have seen hell I am sure that on the basis of God's word we can decide definitely what we would tell our kids so that hell would not be awaiting them at the end of life. I believe in the first place on the basis of the word of God you and I as Christian fathers would testify to our kids that Christ is the only way of escape 
from an eternity in hell and damnation. I believe that you and I would tell our kids, listen, son, listen, daughter, you're sinners, we're all sinners. We are all guilty in the sight of God. We are all under condemnation of eternal death and hell because all of us have deliberately gone against the will of God and therefore we deserve punishment. And then I'm sure that we would say to our kids, and listen kids, there is a hell. Let no man deceive you. Let no man talk you out of it. There is a hell. And we would say, I saw it. I, as Lazarus, I saw hell. And it's horrible. Because as a Lazarus, we would say to our kids, why the rich man asked that we might dip our finger in water and with one drop of water, cool is tongue, hell is hell. And you and I would say it's a reality, it's the abode of the damned, that God does damn men who stand before him with their own guilt and with their own punishment upon them. We would say that hell is real. Don't ever let anybody talk you out of it. Then we would say, but oh, there's good news that I've come to tell you. There is in Jesus Christ a way of escape. And you and I would tell them the gospel. We would tell them that God's Son came out of the ivory calluses into this world of sin. That he became a human being. That he was the God-man. And that he went to Calvary's cross and he took upon himself our guilt and our punishment. And he bore the equal of an eternity in hell for you and me. And we would say, and for you, my kids, that's what he did. And then we would say, because he paid the bill in full because he bore hell in your stead, then we would urgently plead and we would say to them, for God's sake, put your faith and your trust in Jesus as your Savior. There's one thing I never want to see happen to you. I never want to see you lost to spend an eternity in hell. And we would say, son, daughter, will you take your guilt and your punishment that merits you hell and will you give it away and will you lay it on Jesus? Will you give it to him? And when you give it to him, then you can know that in Christ there is no hell, there is no damnation awaiting you. I believe, Christian fathers this morning, that's what you and I would tell them first. You may say, well, what of it? If that's what you and I as a Lazarus, supposing that we have come back from the dead and we have seen hell would tell them, then I'd like to ask you this morning, shoulder to shoulder and eye to eye, have you and I done it or are we doing it? You may say, but wait a minute, preacher, it'd be a lot different if I actually saw hell. Listen, friend, if you and I saw hell, we'd go stark mad. You and I would go stark crazy to see again what it means to be damned to be cut off from the grace and the mercy of God forever. But we have the word of God and Christ says there is a hell. Therefore it's truly true whether you and I have seen it or not. Then we ought to say on this Father's Day, therefore as a Christian father, I must bear witness and I must testify to my kids that Christ is the only way and I must plead with them to put their faith and their trust in Jesus to escape eternal punishment. And we would say that's the most important thing that I can do. And are we doing it? When I flew back from Minneapolis a week before last, 
The plane was rather late and I was seated on the plane and two men were behind me, businessmen. The plane was jammed and we were hour, hour and 15 minutes late. But these two men were talking loud and I listened to that conversation all the way into Chicago and it went something like this. Uh, the one man said to the other, he said, do you fly very much? And the other fellow said, yes, I fly a lot. And he said, my wife doesn't like it at all. She wants me to be home. But he said, I can't understand her. I got a good wife. He says, I've given her a very fine home. She's got a Cadillac and she's got a Mustang beside and she's even got a maid. I can't see why that woman can't be satisfied. But she says she wants me home. She wants me as about. And he says, I just told her I'm not going to be home. And then he went on, he said, why in my business, he said, the sky is the limit. Why, he says, the potential of making money. He said, it's astronomical and I'm going out to get it. It's a matter of just going out and bringing it and I'm out to make all that I can. You see, he was like the rich man. You see, that rich man didn't go to hell because he was rich. And the poor man, beggar, didn't go to heaven because he was poor. The rich man went to hell because he didn't have Christ, because he didn't have God. And then the other man spoke up and he said, Yes, and he says, The rabbi has been talking to me about this thing too, about not going to the synagogue. And then they went into some roasted rabbiola, and it sounded rather familiar, and I thought, well, they can roast the rabbis. It was almost Lutheran, just about like you may go and have some roast pastor, you know, if you hear something you don't like, especially again, if the important thing is life, you were told is not to see how much money you can make, but to be a Christian father and to testify to your kids that Jesus Christ is the all-important one. And as that conversation went on, and I listened, I thought to myself, he reminds me of the man that wrote his own epitaph for his tombstone when he knew that life was a failure. He'd made a lot of money. He said, this is the epitaph. And he said, write it on my tombstone. Born a human being. And then he said, died a wholesale grocer. That's what happens, doesn't it, sometimes? When you and I fail to evaluate, know what is important. But if as Christian fathers we say this to ourselves, there is a hell, and it's my obligation, it's my duty to testify to my kids that they may know that Christ is the only way of escape, and therefore only in Him can they escape. And when we have so testified that it's all important, then again, we have this assurance that if that's the conviction of you and me as a Christian father and there's a Christian mother does it, no home is ever broken up. May I say this, if your home has been broken up with kids, there's only one reason that either you or the mother didn't care less about the soul of your kids. I don't care who you are. If you are a Christian father or mother and you've got children, you would keep that home intact because when you break it, you are saying to the world, something means more to me than the Christian eternal salvation of my kids. No home has ever been broken up unless father or mother put something else besides the eternal welfare of children. Homes only break up when father or mother couldn't care less as regards the eternal welfare and destiny of their kids. Father's Day, I'm talking to Christian fathers. And I'm assuming this morning that you and I are Lazaruses. We've come back from the grave. We've come back from the dead. We've been in heaven and we've seen him. We've been given the privilege of testifying to our kids so that they do not come to this place called hell, the place of torment. And we're asking ourselves, what would we tell them? 
On the basis of having Moses and the prophets, the word of God, it isn't difficult. I think in the second place, you and I as Christian fathers would testify to our kids, not only that Christ is the only way of escape, that they can escape hell and eternal damnation, but we would testify that Christ requires of them that they surrender to his will of right and wrong in all things if they expect to escape hell. You and I would tell our kids this story of Jesus is the great story of grace, of the love of God. And we would tell them now grace is free. There is forgiveness and deliverance from hell for all men. It's free for the asking. Just give your sins to Jesus. But I'm sure we would also tell them this. But listen, kids, don't you ever think that grace is cheap. Don't you ever think that because you put your faith in Jesus as your Savior, that that means that you can go out and live as you please. That you can go out and do something, whether it's right or wrong, regardless of what God thinks about it, that it's cheap grace and you can live as you please. I am sure you and I would testify, listen, when you are saved by grace, you are under obligation that you are to surrender to Christ's will of right and wrong in all things. And I think you and I would tell them that God, when he created man, our first parents in his own image, he wrote into man's heart again his moral code of right and wrong that Adam and Eve, by creation, they knew the will of God. They knew what was right and what was wrong. When again at Mount Sinai the law was given, that was not the first time the Ten Commandments were given. That was the second time. The first time was when God wrote it in men's hearts. And then on Mount Sinai, Moses didn't give those laws. God did. It was God's changeless, unchangeable, absolute standard of right and wrong. God spoke. Christ spoke. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Thou shalt honor thy father and thy mother. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his cattle, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. God spoke those words on Mount Sinai. Christ again giving that moral code that if it's wrong today, it's wrong tomorrow. That something that is right today doesn't become wrong tomorrow. And something that is wrong today doesn't become right. And you and I would tell our kids, don't let anybody tell you that you can kick over the moral code, that it is not absolute. And that again you will escape hell. You and I will say you are under obligation to surrender to Jesus Christ and that absolute standard of right and wrong if you wish to escape hell, then you and I would plead with him because we have seen hell. We would say repent every day and ask him for strength that you never deliberately do that which you know is wrong. That's what we would testify to our kids if you and I were Lazarus come back from the dead and had been in heaven and had seen hell, we would plead with them, for God's sakes, repent every day and stay away from doing that which you know is wrong because that's the way that goes to hell and there is an abode of the damned. Jesus said so. You and I may say, well, what of it on Father's Day? Well, listen, if that's what we testify, if we were Lazarus come back from the grave, then are we so testifying today to our kids? 
Are we telling them again, this is the thing? Are we telling them that you've got to surrender to God's will? And why not? Because after all, we've got everything we need to tell them. Abraham told Dives, he says, you've got Moses and the prophets. Isn't it strange that Dives, the rich man in hell, he suddenly becomes a missionary. He's suddenly interested in his five brothers. He wasn't before. And he tells Abraham, Abraham, if you send Lazarus back from the dead, I know my brothers will repent and they'll believe. You see, he's not satisfied with God's way. You see, Abraham said, they've got Moses and the prophets. They don't need any more than that. Oh, no, you're all wrong. Abraham, you've got this thing all wrong. God, you don't know how to run your show. God, if you'd let me run your show, I'd show you how to save people. You don't do it by Moses and the prophets, by the word of God. You don't do it by what you reveal there, by the eternal, endearing word of God. No, you send them back from the dead. That's the way you do it. And if you don't want to send them back from the dead, no wonder they end up in hell. Rather a strange missionary, isn't he? But oh, you see, disgusted. How many of us just kind of disgusted? We know better than we know. God doesn't know how to run his show. You've got to run it or I've got to run it. But Abraham reminded him, he said, if they don't believe Moses and the prophets, don't ever kid yourself. They're not going to believe if one went back from the dead. Who'd believe that anybody came back from the dead? You and I have the eternal word of God verbally inspired. It is God's revelation of all that we need to know and all that our kids need to know. And because you and I have it, that's all we're going to have. But then as Christian fathers, we ought to say to her, this is it. This is what our kids need to know and we would tell them. And then again, we would know this, that if they end up in hell, we have done something. Because hell, it's a permanent thing. Rather strange in this parable, isn't it? That Father Abraham says about this gulf that is fixed. There's a chasm. You don't go from heaven to hell. And you don't go from hell to heaven. In other words, death decides. There is no place after death that you and I can go to and purge ourselves and get into heaven. There's a gulf fixed, says Jesus. Death decides where your soul and mine will spend eternity. If when death comes we go to hell, that's it. If when death comes in Christ Jesus you and I go to heaven, that's it. There is a chasm and you don't go from one place to the other. It's fixed. Hell is eternal. It is unending. There is no chance after death. Christian fathers were Lazarus has come back from the dead. We may say to ourselves in this Father's Day, well, if Father Abraham sent you and me back, we've been in heaven and we've seen hell and all its horror, and we are to testify to our kids, what would we tell them? I don't think it's hard. I think, again, we would testify to them that Christ is the only way. We would tell them that Christ demands complete submission to his will of right and wrong. And in the third place, I think you and I as Christian fathers, we would testify to our kids that Christ wants mercy from you and me and from them if we want to escape hell. What was wrong with the rich man? There was no mercy, was there? The dogs had mercy. They licked the man's sores. Jesus must have loved dogs. He must have had one. He probably grew up with one. That beautiful little touch, the dogs in mercy, they licked the sores. But Dives couldn't care less. Mercy. Mercy. You know, there's an old saying that says something like this. It is nice to be important. And it is, isn't it? 
pretty nice to be important, but the saying says, but it's more important to be nice. It's more important to be nice. You and I would tell our kids, listen, if you expect to escape hell, grace isn't cheap. Don't ever get the idea that because you put your faith in Jesus that you can live as you please and there need be no mercy in your life and that you're going to escape hell. We would say, grace isn't that cheap. There's the obligation to be merciful. What's wrong with the world? Isn't it this? This is what's wrong. We have failed to realize that it's more important to be nice, to be merciful. You may say to me, how can you be merciful, preacher? Well, it isn't so hard. Jesus told you and me, he said, and all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. In simple language, he says, put yourself in the other guy's shoes. And when you put yourself in his boots, and you feel that you are that person, and then decide how you'd like to be treated, that's the way you treat him. In other words, how am I to treat a black man? The way I am to treat a black man if I want to be kind is to imagine that I'm a black man. And as a black man to say to myself, how do I want men to treat me? How do I want the white man to treat me? And when I've decided that, then I treat that black man that way. That's being merciful, being kind. If I'm an employer and I wonder how do I treat the employee that works for me, I put myself in his shoes. And when I'm in his shoes, I ask myself, how would I want to be treated? And then I treat him that way. It is so important to be kind. Do you know of anything in this world that is wrong, that couldn't be righted, if you and I would know that it's, oh yes, it's nice to be important, but it's more important to be nice. Jesus on the last day I would tell my kids he's going to put some on the left side yeah, who have said that they put faith in him and he's going to say to them I came to you and I was hungry one day but you didn't give me anything to eat. And I was thirsty and I asked you for a glass of cold water and you couldn't even give me a glass of cold water. I was naked and cold and I asked you for some used clothing and you couldn't give me any. I was a transient, and I needed a place to sleep, and I asked you to take me in, and you didn't do it. You forgot to be merciful. I was sick, and oh, I was so lonely, and I wanted somebody to visit me, but you, you didn't do it. And I was in prison, God-forsaken. Nobody cared, and you didn't come. Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. You and I would tell our kids, listen, grace isn't cheap. Don't you ever think it is? You've got to be merciful if you want mercy. And there will be no mercy. There will be an eternity of hell awaiting you. Even though you have put your faith in Jesus, if you have failed to realize that while grace is free, it isn't cheap, and you forgot to be kind. You forgot to be nice. Then we would plead with them. We'd say, for God's sake, look at your faith every day and make sure that in that faith you see that it's alive. 
because you have learned to be kind. That's what we would tell them. If you and I were Lazarus back from the grave and we had seen hell, we'd testify and we'd plead with them that their faith could show itself in mercy if they expected mercy to be delivered from the eternal darkness of hell. Well, if that's what you and I as Christian fathers, if we were Lazaruses come back from the grave, would testify, then we need to ask ourselves this morning, are we doing it? And again, are we really engaged? Do we care that much for our kids? Because after all, you know, heaven is beautiful. Do you ever find a more beautiful expression of heaven than Jesus used in this story? Angels came and they carried the beggar's soul to Abraham's bosom. Beautiful, isn't it? Abraham's bosom, where Abraham, he's the father, believe it, that's heaven. But angels came. Isn't it a glorious, comforting thought to know that when we die in Christ, that the angels are around waiting to transport your soul and mind to heaven? Tremendous pallbearers, angels. You know, when I was thinking about this, Preparing the sermon, I thought of a friend of mine that lived just up north on this street, Dr. H.K. Mauser. I think a lot of you remember him. If you ever doctor with old H.K., you said he's a boy, he was hard as nails. And oh, if you didn't do what he told you to do, you really got balled out. Well, may I tell you that Dr. H.K., that exterior that seemed so brusque and hard was only covering up a heart that was, oh, it was softer than melted butter. You talk about testifying. You know you don't get any place when you embarrass anybody when you testify. But try it alone sometimes with some of these seemingly hard-boiled persons. We got to know one another quite well. We were alone one day and we were talking about things spiritual. Look to me and he said, you know, he said, I saw my father die and I was with him in the room. And I want you to know, he said this, when my father died, I looked down and he said there was a glow around my father's head and around his bed. It glowed, it was gleaming. And he said, and I saw it, mind you, an MD. He said, I saw the glow and the gleams. You see, Dr. H.K. almost saw an angel, or angels taking the soul of his father. When he was dying out here at the hospital, when I visited him alone one day, he was talking to me about things again, spiritually. He said, about an operation. He says, I went into a person to patient. He says, I, I, I was looking for something and I didn't know. And he said, God's hand guided me that day. I felt him guide my hand and I didn't know it, but I came to the place that I was looking for. The guidance of God. Oh, the angels to take us to heaven. Heaven must be beautiful when the pallbearers are the angels of God. Oh, again, when we as Christian fathers can so testify that our children won't miss heaven. Oh, again, what greater role can you and I play? Oh, they, they love us, don't they? When Father's Day comes along, I've got two daughters, Dorothy and Carol. You wait for a card or a letter, don't you? And again, they send cards and you read it and you blubber. And you say to yourself, I'm not that good, but we're heroes, aren't we? And again, when they start to tell you how much they really care, and you're a hero, we fathers, in the lives of our kids. Oh, I knew a little boy who 
one day was beaten soft by his drunken father. He had two of the most horrible black eyes you ever want to look at, an emaciated face, and there was a hearing before the judge. The judge looked at the little boy when he was so beaten up, and he said, Son, uh, maybe you'd like to live someplace else rather than with your father. Would you like to go someplace else? And the little kid got off of the chair. He walked over and got on his father's lap, and he kissed him. He said, Dad, I love you. I want to live with you. That's the way they feel. You can beat them soft. They love you. I think back in my parish in Eaton, Ohio, when I started, and the older daughter was four years old, Dorothy. Been playing out in the backyard, playing with her dog. We had a Samoyed down, a Siberian sled dog, and his name was Laddie. And it's rather interesting. She has now grown up, and she's the mother of two kids, and in their backyard there's another Laddie, another Samoyed, by the same name as the dog she had and grew up with. And then, of course, later came Punkin. That was for Carol, and we still have Punkin. You see, Jesus loved dogs, and I guess a lot of us love dogs. But age of four, my study was upstairs in the parsonage. She came running up one day, reached out her hand, says, Daddy, I picked you some flowers. And I said, oh, thank you, Dorothy, and picked her up on my lap, and I kissed her, and I said, well, get a vase, and we're going to put these flowers in the vase, and we're going to have them right here on my desk, and we fixed them all up, and she was so proud, and she went back to play with her dog, and, oh, you, you wonder what kind of flowers they were? Well, uh, they're called lion's tooth flowers. Do you know what lion's tooth flowers are? They got another name. They're called dandelions is what they are, but oh, they were beautiful. Can you imagine a more beautiful bouquet that you could ever receive than from your own child who, who brings it in love? And every time I see dandelions waving in the fields, they're beautiful, aren't they? All flowers are beautiful when they are given in love. Isn't that right? And today I, I think of the Kennedy family. I think of John Kennedy, not President Kennedy, just plain John Kennedy father and two kids who don't have a father today. I think of Robert Kennedy, not Senator Robert Kennedy, just Bob Kennedy, father, you see. He was also a man, a father, ten kids without a father today. Oh, again, tragedy, isn't it? To be deprived of a father. But oh, what joy on Father's Day when we have testified to our kids about Jesus Christ and we can gather together with mother and the kids and together we can really turn to our God who through Jesus Christ has become our Father and we can pray together our Father. It's wonderful, isn't it? Whether we say Vater Unser, or whether we say Pater Nuster, or whether we say Our Father, that's a bit of heaven on earth, isn't it? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory 
forever and ever. Amen. 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 The peace of God which passeth all human understanding, keeping unite your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.